Welcome to Phoenix and Flame, pushing through and transforming even when you feel like a pile of ash. This podcast is not intended for use as psychotherapy. If you feel you are in crisis, please call 911 or contact your local crisis hotline. Welcome to Phoenix and Flame. I'm Dana, and this is my podcast on pushing through and transforming even when you feel like a pile of ash. Well, as you all know, I adore being a podcaster because it gives me access to some amazing people, and today is absolutely no exception. Now, today our guest is named Marshall Zweig. You got it. That's as close as I could get. (laughs) (laughs) We already had a long conversation about this that they didn't hear, but... (laughs) I know. So, Marshall, once I read through this, you're going to understand how he hits so many of my points for who I want included in my podcast as a guest. So he is a survival survivor of sexual, emotional, and psychological traumas. He spent decades and hundreds of thousands of dollars learning to feel again. Along the way, he transformed his relationships with his now wife and his mother, both of whom were gaslighting him. Now, that whole experience took him to the edge of sanity and beyond, but now those relationships with both of those individuals are thriving, loving, and respectful. Now, as a trauma-informed coach, Marshall supports couples and families with his method called Truth Empowered Relationships, and his resensitization therapy technique is a recognized modality by the International Association of Therapists. Marshall, welcome to Phoenix and Flame. Thank you. I've, I've already, again, you know, we've been talking for seven minutes. There, I, I, I don't feel like I'm meeting you. I feel like I've known you a, a long time. So I'm happy to be here. <laughs> All right. So I want you to tell us, and I've got tons of questions and everything. And something that I did mention earlier is that as you're talking, I will frequently look down and jot down a note or something because things that you say are going to spark a question in me or a comment in me, but I won't want to interrupt you. So I will be kind of jotting this down while you're talking. And then when there's an organic pause, I'll jump in with my question or comment. Okay. And uh, my curiosity will, might, might lead me to say, wait, what are you writing? Up? You know, but <laughs> I we'll will dance. tell you. We'll dance. <laughs> I will okay. tell you. So first of all, start out by telling us about this truth empowered relationships. That's, that's intriguing to me. And then we can work our way back around to your background and, and your, your path. Well, you and I talked a little bit about this in the pre-interview. Truth-empowered relationships, the idea behind it. I have uh, taken two healing paths in my life. I've gone to traditional therapists, many of them in several states, and I've done coaching. And for me, coaching is much more effective. And I've only had an experience personally with one therapist, with one therapist, I should say, who was effective for me, but not in a contextually transformative way, just adequate enough to talk to. Uh, so I uh, prefer coaching. And as a result, I believe I can help people, support people in becoming each other's healers. What do I mean by that? One part therapist and, 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 and the most uh, effective part of therapy, which is a caring listener, compassionate listener sensitive, respectful. So one part therapist, one part best friend, one part coach, one part 
intimate partner, and we can all be there for ourselves and each other. So my uh, uh, method teaches people how to support themselves and each other so that they can be self-sufficient within a relationship. Hmm. So since I'm a psychotherapist myself and I get to walk so many people down these journeys and I've had some really, some interesting experiences of my own, I've got a ton of questions about that, but I would really like to kind of back up for a moment and understand your path, where you began, because like I said before, my podcast is about a phoenix, which burning, you know, the fire, pushing through, transforming, even when you feel like a pile of ash. And so my listeners frequently are either in fire right now, or they have been, or they're anticipating something like that. They're anticipating just having to burn down to ash, or they might be listening right now and feel like they are just nothing but a pile of ash with no hope to do anything else. And one of the reasons why I did this podcast was that I wanted them to know that they're not alone, that other people have been there or are there right now, and to hear people's stories of how they're able to push through that. And the the authenticity and, and the credibility is when you get to hear someone who legitimately, who you listen to and you're like, I'm going to listen to that person because I feel like they understand they're not just being flipped. They're, they're not trying to compare my huge issue with their small little thing. I feel like they really get it. And so that's why I like to have guests on my show who have been through some significant traumas and experiences and then are open and transparent to share how they, what it felt like and how they made it through. So as much as you feel comfortable doing, obviously everyone has their own boundaries as I'm the queen of boundaries. So I, I know all about that. So share as much as you want with us about, because you mentioned being a survivor of sexual, emotional, and psychological traumas. Um, what was that like for you? And if you're reaching out to listeners right now that might be currently in something like you were in, what do you want them to hear from you? Well, first of all, thank you for the question. I think about listeners on a podcast or, you know, uh, clients that I coach, I think about these people all the time with every interaction because I want to make a difference. So I'd be glad to answer that question. I can tell you briefly about the traumas, but what's more important to me is describing the effect of them because there may be people listening who will be like, that's me. I experienced sexual trauma uh, at the hands of my paternal grandmother. When I came home at four years old, I tried to talk to my father about it by saying the best I could manage, Daddy, I feel sad. I still remember standing next to my closet. Daddy, I feel sad. His response was, don't be sad, son. There are people in wheelchairs. Mm. And so for that particular trauma, for the next few decades, uh, I, I had to block it out. I couldn't process, mm -hmm. right? Yep. But for the, for the next few decades, I would see someone in a wheelchair and my penis would ache. And I didn't know why. In my house, I come to find out not only was, did my father uh, survive sexual trauma as well, but he also survived it at the hands of his mother, which is not something he didn't, he, which is not something he talked about. Uh, I, he told me, I don't know if he told anyone else. He also, maybe to make it through life himself, he, he did not I want to be very clear. This is a guy who dropped his briefcase when he came home and played with us for a few minutes, 
who uh, spanked me one time in my life and was so uncomfortable with it, never did it again. So there were elements of him that probably people would envy as a father. And then there were also these moments where he would not tolerate anything but being happy. He would literally send me to my room when I was anything but in a good mood. And so I, there became two of me, the guy coming out who was not in a good mood but smiling, and the guy inside saying, I'll pretend to be in a good mood until whatever. And eventually, as you know, you, know, you, start, you start out with a, a ship is one quarter of an inch off course. It's just that. But five miles down shore, you won't even see. You, you know what I'm talking about. So mm-hmm. as a result, this is the part I was getting to. And if I'm talking to someone right now who's hearing this, I do understand. I was unhappy and didn't know why. I would drive down the highway, getting the impulse to drive my car into the concrete median and not know why. And I would uh, be, I had, I had an addiction to adult content video, not knowing why. Every time I did it, I would type help me in the URL, in the address browser, just, you know, unconsciously screaming for help, trying to renegotiate trauma, all those kinds of things. Um, I feel like I have not a unique perspective because I believe there are people out here who understand what I'm talking about. I believe I have a unique understanding that can help people who have been sort of gaslighted by positivity Mm. because of the forced to be in a good mood kind of uh, uh, place. In addition, and this is the last part, I took a chance and told my dad uh, about a, uh, a disturbing fantasy that I had, aggressive fantasy. Uh, this was when I had my first girlfriend down in the basement of the house growing up, and my dad took that opportunity to tell me uh, that when he was 15 or 16, he said, uh, he wasn't sure which one, he committed a very serious crime, a very gravely serious crime. I'm the only person he ever told. So that for 30 years, I kept that a secret. My now wife, I trusted her enough uh, to share it. Uh, but what I've noticed in my life, the gift of that moment was as, as absolutely disturbing as it was, I realized that, oh, I'm a person people like to tell the truth to. And I've had people confess amazing things to me. So I love to be that safe place for people to tell the truth to. Uh, does that answer the question? It does. It's, it's kind of a process of where, where you started and then how you got to be where you are right now. I will tell you the one you said where I started, this is the beginning of my healing. I was in my early thirties and I'm walking up the stairs at work and nothing's working. My relationships aren't working. And I should say my parents, despite the way I interacted with them, the things that I didn't like, they absolutely loved each other. So I, it wasn't safe to be me very safe to watch love. And here I am a relationship coach. Anyway, I'm walking up the stairs uh, at work one day and a a woman passes me on the stairs and says, how are you? I don't remember a time where I answered that question with anything other than fine, Dana. I said, Mm -hmm. I'm not doing well today. She stopped on this long staircase, blah, 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 blah. And this is, there's this workshop. And I remember saying, okay, and shaking. And for three Tuesdays in a row, I made up a lie, and I'm a very honest person. I made up a lie so I didn't have to go to this intro. Fourth one I went to changed my life. That was the beginning of my healing. Oh, wow. You know, I what I like to hear what you're saying there is that everyone is on their own journey, and everyone arrives in their own timing 
for when they're ready to process what's going on inside of them. And I see that so much in my work as a psychotherapist, particularly with trauma. You know, someone has to be ready. And when someone is ready is very different across different, you know, lifespans and what, what, how people, what they're doing in their life, how they're living their life and what their journey is. You know, someone might be ready to, to cough it up at 24, 25 years old. There might be someone else who is holding on to it until they're 70. Um, it's all on their own journey, but it's like trying to find that safe place like you're talking about to be honest and to, to bring that out and to maybe even for the first time yourself face because you mentioned earlier and something I've seen a lot in my work is that the mind is an amazing thing and it will take things that we're not ready to process and it will put them away in a little compartment and it will stay there sometimes for decades and we don't even know it's there. We have this feeling that something's off, but we don't know what it is. And then somehow, and I, I've seen different people come at it from different angles they're ready. And the mind always knows when the person is ready and when they're not ready. And it's just kind of amazing to watch that. And that's what I was hearing you say in your description of your journey, of that part of your journey. Yeah. I, when, when I was uh, in my early thirties is when I woke up to what happened, talked to my dad about it. He admitted what had happened to him. He had always admitted it from an external person, but he admitted it about his mom. And, uh, uh, for about a year, I remembered it. And then I just did not have the support system around me. And I forgot it again. And I'm a guy, I can tell you name a movie from 1980. And I'll tell you who I saw it with, what theater we were in. I'm that kind of memory. But this particular thing I blocked out at 50 years old, I, I was living in LA. I saw this energy the chiropractor and he did this unique technique on me. And all of a sudden I'm like, I literally said this to myself. I reluctantly accept my incarnation. What an interesting sentence, right? And it then, is a very interesting sentence. Yeah. Wow. So since you really ended up in a space of focusing on relationships and trying to help people find one another and work their way past gaslighting and that type of thing, I'm wondering how you feel that someone's history of trauma, especially when they haven't really processed it, how that might impact their current relationships. I think you, first, before I answer the question, I'm like, well, she's awfully charitable asking me this because I know she has a lot of opinions on this as anybody who works with people would. Um, I would say it manifests in ways where you are treating other people the way you don't want to be treated, interacting with other people the way you didn't like being interacted with. If you're replicating generational, perhaps, uh, mistreatment, uh, disrespect, insensitivity, that's probably a sign. If you lash out at someone and then you're like, I, I really shouldn't have done that, but I don't know why I did it. That's it. That's sort of what you were describing. Something's wrong, but I, I don't actually know what it is. I would go, I said, I told you I had an addiction, addiction to adult content video. And I remember driving down the street in Detroit, eight mile, going into video stores and looking at these people going into these adult sections thinking, I'm not like them. Why am I doing this? I'm not like them. 
I was like them. I just was asleep to it, you know? It kind of reminds me of, I'm sure you've heard the, uh, the phrase hurting people hurt people. Right. Hurting people hurt people. And that's kind of, and one of the main questions I had for you, I want to make sure we have plenty of time to cover this and it'll probably going to kind of splinter off on all different kinds of, of topics and comments. But when I was reading your information and how you were so successful at being able to kind of work past, you know, the, the gaslighting issues that you had with your now wife and, and your mom and stuff. And, and it came out on the other side with, you know, rainbows and unicorns and all that. That's, you know, I'm, I'm being obviously facetious, but how do you handle it when the person that you're trying to um, reconcile with, you're trying to move past it, you're trying to have a healthy relationship with, they have significant issues that they have no intention of either acknowledging or doing anything about. And they are going to continue engaging in their dysfunctional behavior. Let me add something to that real quickly. Like, for example, when you think about forgiveness, you know, forgiveness involves, at least the way I understand it, you could correct me or whatever like that. But from what I understand, forgiveness is you're looking at someone and they, they acknowledge what they did and they turn away from it. So they're like, okay, I did this. I'm not going to do it anymore. Then you can forgive it and let it go because it's truly in the past because you're going to go forward in a new relationship, in a different relationship, in a healthier relationship with one another. So it really doesn't matter what each person did as long as they acknowledge it and they say, I'm not going to do it anymore. The, the issue that I've had along the way, and especially with boundaries and why I feel like I'm a huge, I have a lot of passion for boundaries. That's why I'm called the queen of boundaries is that when you're interacting with people who will either neither admit what they did, or maybe they know they're doing it, but they have no intention of changing it. So then it's not, it's not forgiveness that's happening. It's allowance. It's like, I'm going to allow you to continue to do this to me in this relationship. And that becomes dysfunctional. That boundary becomes dysfunctional. So I'm very curious as to your take on how you help people have relationships when one of those two people, like I said, either doesn't even acknowledge what they're doing is hurtful, pathological, or dysfunctional, or maybe they do acknowledge it, but they have no intention of changing anything. Then what? So you're right. This can go in a lot of places. (laughs) Let me give you the heroic example of my mother. Along my personal growth journey, she has listened to me. And she was a person who did not come from a place where her, uh, let's say this, she was a person who was talked to in insensitive ways by someone in her family. I watched it. I was a witness. I know it happened. There's no question. She replicated it. But as I was going through my personal growth journey, she would listen to me. I remember having a spirited two-hour conversation with her once about that there's no absolute good and bad, that there might be various stages of confusion, but there is no good. The, 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 the most evil people in the world, if you ask them, they actually think in some way they're heroic, mm-hmm. that they're doing a noble thing. So it's, it's getting past that particular perspective 
into a perspective beyond a person. Not everybody's capable of that. My mother, after multiple times moving back, uh, it's a long, long story. I won't tell the story, but finally, four serious conversations. I wept. We were in my backyard, right? I was going to point over there. And she said, I hear what you're saying. That sounds like me. I can believe I said those things. I don't remember them. Instantly, like you said, that's forgiveness. That's a, And then she said, and you said queen of boundaries, I won't do it again is one thing. The other way is, if I do it again, let me know. And then I get a chance, Dana, to set the boundary that you're talking about. So there's a value in that. I have said to her, don't change. But if you talk to me in a way that doesn't work for me, be receptive to the conversation. And she brought it up to me and has brought it up multiple times that that is what she wants to do. Well, that's a person I can stay in a relationship. But for example, I can name people in my family who have who are not that way. They want to believe that our family is wonderful. Our family is a family, a family of origin, but it has people who talk to each other with insensitivity and disrespect. And that's a statement of fact. And if I want to classify it, I could go out to what psychologists call emotional abuse. And I can say this, 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 but I'm not that kind of person. I know what's insensitive. I know what's disrespectful. So I'm pointing over here. There's a neighbor I have, my wife and I have, and this guy talked to me with disrespect a number of times. And the last time was in the beginning of the pandemic. Here's my mom coming over 80, whatever years old at the time. And he's, he took that opportunity to yell at me for wearing a mask, Dana. And I tried to stop him once. He overrode my, my standing up for myself. Twice, he overrode it. And I went inside, and I wrote a note, and I said, listen, I saw what happened. Probably you were upset that I didn't want to come over and have a beer with you, because I don't particularly care for this person. But I said, you owe me an apology. And you don't just owe me an I'm sorry. And it's not I'm sorry and let's talk about the weather. And I'm sorry and let's talk about our lawns. It's I'm sorry and here's why I did it. And if you only knew how wide my tolerance, I'm going to come back to that word, tolerance, for acceptance is, you would understand it's safe to tell me why you did it. But short of that, I would, I would not want to have any relationship with you. He chose to stop speaking with me. You know what I get out of that? And my wife tells me and my son tells me, we're happier without this person in our life. If you are active about the boundaries, if you are the king or queen, let's say the, since you're the queen, if you're the prince or princess of boundaries, then you get to have a life that works the way you want it to work. Otherwise, people step on you the way they feel like, and you're, you're just a doormat. And I, I can't tell you how long it took me. It was, it was not quick to realize that I deserve to speak up because I'm a voice of sensitivity not a voice of insensitivity. And the, the person in my family, growing up, my family of origin, the people who got the floor were the loudest, angriest, rudest, most disrespectful, insensitive people. Not anymore, Dana. I will cut that platform short, but quick. <laughs> See, I like the way you're talking about these relationships because this is real life. I, I am a very kind of cut to the chase. Let's talk about real situations that real people experience. I'm not interested in prettied up things or, or just kind of vague references. You're talking about real life situations where, 
you know, we can't, and that's why one of the reasons I'm passionate about boundaries is because we cannot force anyone else to do anything. We can only say what we're going to do. And so with your, with your focus on relationships and, you know, you talk about truth empowered relationships. And I was just really very much intrigued to be able to talk with you and for us to kind of be able to weave in and out and talk about how, how you saw boundaries as being implicit in that, because sometimes people will say, well, you know, to have reconciliation, to have these, cause you, you were able to move past gaslighting and all kinds of stuff. And it's like, okay, that's great. But what if someone isn't well, like your neighbor, he was not willing to do, to behave any other kind of way. He was going to, he felt like he was right. And truthfully, he does have a right to his opinion. He was obnoxious with it, but he has a right to his opinion. And he, he was your neighbor, literally. And he did not want to change the way he, he did not want to change his opinion. And he did not want to change the way he interacted with you. And so he just, he just stopped. And I think sometimes we have those people in our lives and sometimes they're very close to us. Sometimes they're not some kind of distant person. Sometimes they're very close. And then when we, we want a relationship, we want to have that, but they're not going to change. Then that's where the boundaries kind of comes into play. And I was really very much intrigued as what your take would be on how boundaries play in with that when you're wanting to try to have a relationship with someone. I think the answer, you know, I said, I'd come back to the word tolerance. First of all, I have a sibling that I don't speak with. And there was a long time where we were best friends. In this person's reality, we were never friends. But I see the world very differently. And I have many people who confirm my reality. I don't know if this person has anyone who would confirm theirs. But they're adamant, but they're adamant that their reality is what she had to survive her life too. She processed, she processed it very differently. I said I'd come back to the word tolerance. I think when you tolerate things, and I had to tolerate things as a child, as we all do, because we are not responsible for who puts those Honey Nut Cheerios in our bowl. Somebody else is. You know, we are not responsible for the fact that there's a roof over our heads. Somebody else is. And we sort of have to be mindful of that, right? It's, it's a survival thing. But tolerance and being tolerant can mean overriding that What's that? The knee-jerk reaction, our reflexive, our reflexive reactions. Someone is yelling at us. Our natural desire is to run, to fight, but freezing, fawning, all those things can happen too. And I caution people who have had to work on their tolerance muscles in their life that when you have a strong ability to be tolerant, you also tolerate. And when you tolerate, that means you're putting up with things that you might not actually want to be putting up with. So I think it's super important. I said I'm a resensitization therapist, as you know. It's about getting in touch with what you actually like and what you actually don't like. You know, I I, I talk in my coaching, and I'm not a religious person. I'm a spiritual person. But to me, that means you get get, uh, wisdom from all sorts of religious texts. You want to put the New Testament into a nutshell. Do unto others as you would have done to un- unto you. You want to put the Old Testament into a nutshell. Do not what you would ne- what you would not have done unto others. Do not do unto you. So both of those things are true. Don't treat other people the way you don't want to be treated. And the general generational abuse is very different than hey, you know, 
hand someone a cup of tea when you're making one for yourself. They're two different things, but both are important. And if we don't, if we tolerate, we can override those reactions that say, I don't like the way you're treating me. Resensitization means realizing we don't like the way someone is talking to us, treating us, and speaking up to it. Not just sitting there and tolerating it, saying, hey, I have a relative of my mom's generation whose whole life would have been changed, Dana, if she had said the following sentence, I don't like the way you're talking to me. This very sweet, angelic person, full of light, she could have changed her whole life. In my reality, she's had a miserable life. But she'd only said the sentence, I don't like the way you're talking to me. And if you say that to someone, and then they respond with insensitivity or disrespect, and that can include you're being too sensitive. That can include, oh, it's no big deal. I was just kidding. I wrote a children's play. The gaslighting. The gaslighting. It It can be subtle. It includes that then be very aware that that might not be a person you want to hang out with. As Peter Levine said, you recognize a lion by its roar, you're safe. You recognize a lion by its breath, you're lunch. Don't wait (laughs) until you recognize a lion by its breath. And I'm talking to the queen, so I know you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Yes, I'm so following everything that you're saying and resonating with all of that. And it is hard. Let's just acknowledge that when this person that you're talking about, like say you say your words because other people aren't required to read our minds. And so that phrase you said, I don't like the way you're talking to me. When you communicate that to someone and they respond back with those phrases that you said, like, well, you're being too sensitive or you don't, I I didn't mean that, you know, I didn't mean that. Or I, I had a rough childhood expecting you just to sort of put up with all of their, all of the, ramifications of their childhood trauma that you didn't cause, but somehow they didn't deal with it either. And they're kind of dumping it on you and expecting you to say, okay, because they were traumatized. So it's sort of like when you're in a relationship with someone close that way, that can be something that is life-saving and also extremely difficult to, to set that boundary with someone to say, I'm sorry that what happened to you happened to you but I didn't do that. And so, but I, I don't like what's going on right now between the two of us. And so I, this is not okay with me. And if they respond with like, well, that's just kind of dismissive or gaslighting phrases like, well, I don't, that's not what I meant, or you're overreacting, you're too sensitive. All those phrases are a way they're basically saying they're going to continue to do all those things. They don't, they're not going to change and they want you just to get over it. That's what all of those phrases mean. And so when they respond that way and you have to set that boundary and decide, I'm not going to continue to expose myself to this. And that person happens to be very close to you in a relationship familially. That is, it's not easy doing sometimes making the healthy choices sometimes is extremely hard. Yeah, I agree with you. This person, had she said that, I believe the response she would have gotten was, I don't care if you don't like the way I'm talking and, and, and then more of the disrespect. So I don't think this person was meant to get out of this relationship. I don't think if they had said that, and then that had come back, that would have been enough to get them out. But interestingly, this person, I was in a car with them maybe 10 years ago and they're still together, these two people. And this person said, turn right. I would feel more comfortable if you turn right. And now they're much older. They've been together over 60 years. Uh, the, the person who, who talks with disrespect 
said, what does it matter? When I, I would really appreciate it if you turned right instead of left. So obviously to this relative, speaking with respect and finally being heard mattered. Now this person who talked to her with disrespect is much older, turned right, turned right. So she was able to turn the relationship into something that worked for her. But at what cost, Dana? At what cost, you know? So do you, do you really want to put up with that much so that in the end you can get a person after a little bit of arguing to do what you asked them to do? I don't think that's intimacy. I think that's closer to survival. <laughs> well, and, you know, I want to say that although, because I'm going to, we're just about done here and I want to leave this on a, on a positive note that although there are people out there who have personality disorders and other such things that are not going to change and are very extremely hard to like borderline personality disorder and these types of things and very difficult to deal with. Those things are around. That's true. But there's also so many situations that you have seen and I have seen where people really want to get along. They, they want to reach out to one another. They just don't have the skills. They just don't have the how to, you know, they, they want to, and maybe they have some, some bad modeling from when they were growing up and they, they have some bad behavior patterns that are like dysfunctional. They don't know how to reach one another, but they want to. And for those individuals, and that's the majority of individuals, yes. I was specifically you know, bringing up the harder situations because people rarely talk about those. And I've experienced those and I want to make sure those get representation. People don't like to talk about them because it doesn't have, it doesn't get tied up with a nice bow at the end. Okay. And so, but that's reality. But the majority of people, they if they learned the right coping strategies, if they learned the right kind of things to do with one another, their relationships can be awesome. They can be so much more improved. And so as we're wrapping up here, I would like for you to talk about the, the, your truth empowered relationship. You says it works like a board game. And I want you to really kind of use the next minute or so and really sort of enlighten my listeners about, what you have to offer and then where they can go to get more from you. If they happen to be in a situation where they had, there's hope that, you know, if they just learned a few things, then it could be so much better. First of all, I, I completely agree that the majority of people fall into the category you just described, which is they need some techniques and tools. Mm -hmm. And this may sound uh, self aggrandizing, uh, but I like to think of what I have as a book of love. We don't, you know, Dr. Spock wrote a book and before he wrote it, there was no manual for parenting. He wrote a book on parenting. My method and my book will be published next year is, is on love and how to love each other. And that means talking to each other with not just sensitivity and respect, but asking curious questions and getting to a place of intimacy. When you have intimacy with, intimacy with someone, you have the kind of love that all of us really want. And intimacy isn't always easy. We all guard our hearts for one reason or another. And, and the key is to, is to learn to unguard them. So first of all, I'll tell you where people can get a hold of me. You might've heard Dana struggling with my last name, although she was very courteous to ask how it was, <laughs> how it was pronounced before you, before we started, but it's my, my full name. So it's Marshall with two L's. The last name is Z like zebra. This is what I say to customer service representatives. Z like zebra. <laughs> 
W E I G like George. And my dad used to do that. So marshallswag.com. Um, I'm on a number of platforms. I live stream twice a month on Ingomu. Awesome app for a dollar a day, less than a dollar a day. You get access to, I think, 40 or 50 coaches, dozens of coaches, and hundreds of hours of on-demand content. So, you know, for my workshops, I think a couple uh, is $499 for one weekend workshop. I believe it's worth it. Don't get me wrong. But for that same price, you can get 40 or 50 coaches. That can really help folks who need support maybe in in, uh, work, in life, in wellness, you know, we have all sorts of different coaches. So that's a platform I'm on. I'm on a number of different platforms too. Zant for students. Uh, I coach uh, resensitization uh, for um, content moderators who pull icky stuff off the internet. They get traumatized, Mm -hmm. very traumatized by the stuff they pull off. So I work with them too. Um, And if I could give someone a little life hack, which I, I, I have done, the one I like telling people is if someone had, I like the, I said it works like a board game. I like the idea of ending arguments, ending arguments. There's no need for an argument. If someone raises their voice, doesn't raising their energy is one thing. If someone raises their voice in a conversation, then they probably are not saying I'm angry. Their, their voice will go up this much. If they say I'm angry, they start yelling. It's up here. You say I'm angry when you're angry. And you watch the transformation in your life from those two words. I said, I don't like the way you're talking to me. That's a life hack too. I'm angry when you're angry. Watch what happens. It may feel like you're throwing a grenade. It may feel like nobody will care. Depends on what your association with anger is and what your relationship with anger is. But you say, I'm angry. Speak to your emotions versus just being your emotions. Your whole world can change. That's awesome. Marshall, I appreciate you spending your time and your energy coming in here and just kind of being with me and sharing with all my listeners, all of your, your experience and your wisdom that you've gained throughout the years. Thank you so much. I had a great time. Thanks. I I love being here. Thank you for inviting me. All right. Hey guys, I know you have heard something today that is amazing. So I want you to share it. I'm sure you might even be listening and, and thinking about some of the things that Marshall said and say, I have a friend, I have a coworker, I have a relative that, oh my gosh, They need to hear this. So take this podcast episode, share it on your favorite social media platforms, copy and paste the link in in text and email, get it out. Let's grow our Phoenix and Flame community so we can reach out to one another. So we all know that we're together in this. We're walking together. You're not alone. I hope you have had a wonderful day and I hope the rest of your day goes fabulous. This is Dana on Phoenix and Flame.